Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, good morning. A little cloudy from my uh, Fort Collins studio today, but it's supposed to get up into the high 80s. Uh, last couple of days, a little bit of a break from the uh, high heat. Uh, I understand it's going to get back there the next few days. Next week, we're going to have a lot of 90s again, which is seasonal for this time of the year. It's been a really uh, it's been a tough year in some ways. A lot of things happening. We're going to cover a lot of that today. One of the things we're going to cover in the second hour Our dog training expert, Ben Garcia, is going to come on. And there's been uh, a record number of dogs having to be rescued off trails because people have pushed them beyond their limits or they've gotten their paws torn up or they're not hydrated properly. So we're going to talk about that because it's a big deal. You love your dog. If you're taking it out there with you, make sure you understand not only your capabilities, but that dog's capabilities and you have the right equipment. We'll talk about that in the second hour. We're going to talk a lot of fishing today, both fly fishing and conventional. You know, it's a tale of two different uh, states. The West Slope is hurting for water, but we've got pretty adequate flows over here. And we even had a more than adequate flow down the Poudre. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, a little bit during the course of the show. One, I, I, We're going to talk a little bit about invasive species today. A lot of people are going in and out of the state. Last year, we had 100 boats come in that check positive for mussels for the whole year. We've had over 100 already this year. We're going to talk about that and how it could affect our ability to access our waters. Programming note, the next two weeks after today, we are moving over to 1600 ESPN from 10 to noon. There's going to be a Broncos training camp specials on the next two weeks on the fan. So you'll find us over on ESPN 1600 from 10 to noon for the next two Saturdays. And uh, if you can't catch us, get the signal from 1600 AM. You can still listen online. Just go to the fan app even and hit the menu and there's a place to pick it up. So all that will work and we will podcast everything. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from the Blue Quill Angler, one of our favorite fly fishing contributors, Chris Steinbeck. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and I'm sure you heard that intro. It's really uh, across the state of of Colorado. It's been a a different picture everywhere you go, isn't it? They, uh, I tell you, Terry, it was spot on with what you said. Um, And it's just over here we have some really good flows, and oh man, they're hurting on the western slope. No, they really are. Um, There, the west slope is is gotten. more than its share of dry weather, we're seeing a lot of stream closures. A lot of people are giving up on fishing. So, Chris, tell me, let's start with some of the waters you fish, where actually things are going pretty well. Tell me about those. Yeah, I tell you, so we've been fishing a lot on the South Platte, you know, out of Cheeseman and down at Deckers. And, um, you know, we get the Cheeseman Lake, they worked so hard all spring to fill that up, and all summer finally got filled. Um, they're flowing a little over 200 cfs out of the dam and that water temperature has been nice and cold it's been running right about that 43 to 45 degrees in the morning out of cheeseman and that is just it's produced some great fishing in through the canyon and all the way down through deckers um because because it cooled the water off we've had to go a little smaller on our fly choices up in cheeseman but down at deckers right now 
you can get away with bigger dry flies, little nymphs. The fish are really, really happy, and life is good right now down at Deckers. Yeah, and that's a great area. By the way, folks, if I did a uh, a video piece on my YouTube channel, the Best Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, Fishing at Deckers, if you want to check that out. It's close enough to Denver to be real popular. Are there a few other places maybe up along the South Platte that maybe don't get quite as much pressure, even if you have to hike in a little bit? Yeah, I tell you, there is. Um, higher up the drainage. Uh, the Dream Stream hasn't been too crowded at all this summer. Uh, you know, the river that flows right behind Spinney Reservoir and connects 11 Mile. Uh, the flows are real good out there as well, and the fishing uh, could be tremendously fun up in South Park right now. And higher up than Spinney, if you go to the middle fork of the South Platte, right along like the Badger Basin Unit or the Tomahawk Unit, there's still good flows coming through those little drainages as well. And that, Terry, as you know, is hopper paradise right now out there. So it's just a ton of fun for fly anglers. I love the hopper dropper season. Um, number one, with my bad eyes, I can I can see that hopper on the water <laughs> compared to a, a 22 Adams or something. And, and then, and then I, I don't have to make a delicate cast. I mean, hoppers plop down with a clumsy attitude, so my fly can do that. So it really bails me out in fly fishing. And, you know, in all seriousness, hopper droppers are just an effective way to uh, really fish, especially, well, for all anglers, but even new anglers, because it is a little bit. How do you decide on the, the fly below your dropper? Say you're doing a hopper, but the fly below and how long of a leader? Yeah, that's a great question. That is a great question. So a lot of times what we look for is the depth and how much water's coming down in terms of current speed. If you traditionally were fishing, you know, anywhere from about two to four feet of water. Um, and so my dropper a lot of times is going to be 18 inches to 24 inches. That's my rule of thumb. Um, and in terms of picking out what dropper works well, the advantage for fly anglers right now is we have several different species of aquatic insects that are active. What that means is there's not one magic fly that's going to catch all those. And so um, the fish are really opportunistic right now. Um, they're pretty hungry. But I will say this time of year we get a lot of our mayflies in terms of the PMDs really active. And those are a really dark brown color body. So um, a lot of my droppers this time of year, I go for either a red or a brown color. Um, and as we start shifting into, you know, end of the summer, early fall, that will start tra transitioning to a little smaller and darker in terms of blacks and dark grays. Um, but right now, go big, size 16, size 18s. Try to find red flies, brown flies, like copper johns, pheasant tails, and um, you name it, they could work pretty well right now. What's your take on beads? Do you almost always use a bead for a dropper to keep it down? Do you use a tungsten bead, a copper bead, or do you just go without a bead sometimes? That's another great question. So a lot of flies nowadays are tied with a lot of tungsten beads, which are just tungsten is a really heavy bead as opposed to the traditional brass. Um, and so a lot of times if I have a tungsten beaded fly, that's all I need. Um, now, if I'm in a situation where that current's flowing a little quicker, and I'm not confident that dropper's getting down too fast, then I might add additional split shot about 12 inches in front of that fly just to help it get down. All right, so hopper droppers. I think we're going to see 
quite a few hopper droppers throughout the season. Boy, I've seen a lot of smaller hoppers this year, too, when I've been out. There's some big ones, too. Do you, you look for the hoppers in the area, or are they opportunistic enough where you just try a couple different? You know, a lot of times throughout the day, we'll just try it. You know, they're seeing enough of them right now. Like you said, there's there's hoppers pretty much everywhere. Um, you know, you get definitely a range of sizes and a range of colors on them. Uh, but a good rule of thumb is right about the size 8 to a size 10 hook and like a yellow or a tan body hopper. Um, that works really good. And a lot of times, if you're in a river and you see a lot of willows off the edges and are kind of overhanging the, the edges of the river, it's a great place to throw that hopper fly. What about, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, you've talked about the South Platte, how good it is, and we know the West Slope is struggling. But what if I want to go over to the West Slope how about some of the still waters over there in the higher alpine lakes? Yeah, this is the uh, the time of alpine lakes. Backcountry fishing right now is prime. Um, the, the cutthroat fishing, the brook trout fishing up high, is. this is just such a fun time of year for it. Um, the great news about those fish, too, is they're not too picky. Um, you can throw big, bushy, attractor dry flies at them. Um, and you just go to some more, some of the most beautiful spots of Colorado doing that type of fishing. Um, you know, the South Park uh-huh. Lakes, Intero and Spinney are fishing really good. Um, yeah, so we, we have options, that's for sure. Well, one of the things, too, you know, there's been a lot of voluntary and mandatory cl- closures over on the West Slope. But a lot of those l- rivers that even don't have closures or that are voluntary are still fishable. But the key is really to pay attention to the water temperature, isn't it? You know, uh, that's as, as guides, we check multiple times throughout the day. Um, and you want to take care of the resource. You want to take care of the fish. Um, and so there's times like right now when the water's really warm, and warm for trout means anywhere over 65 degrees. That's when it becomes really detrimental to the fish. They become really stressed out. Um, but they, you know, a lot of times... The early morning fishing right at daybreak is still really good when you still have some of the cooler water. And so even if you're in a river that you're a little nervous on water temperatures, just keep checking the temps. If it's over 65, let the fish take a break. Um, But just know that if you get up early, you can take advantage of some really solid fishing hours in the morning time and have a lot of fun before that sun really bakes the water and warms it up a few degrees and makes it become almost too warm for the trout. You know, this is also, because we've got the hopper dropper going on, we've got some good dry fish fishing going on in a lot of places, this is a good time if you were thinking about taking up fly fishing, and the lakes, too, can be a little easier sometimes, at least learning to cast. This is a good time. Are you guys offering a lot of classes right now? Oh, you bet. We do a one-on-one class every week here at the shop where we teach people all the fundamentals of fly fishing, and then we get them out and day in the water. Um and every Saturday, and we start this here, uh, we've been doing it all summer, but it gets going about 45 minutes at 10 o'clock this morning. But we do a free class here at our shop every Saturday. And you don't need to register or anything. You just show on up here. And we teach you how to cast, how to rig up a rod, and go over some of the basics of fly fishing. Um, and really get to a point of saying, oh, this is something I really want to do, or um, no, it's not for me. Yeah, and it's just a great time because, you know, I've always been a big advocate of at least going to a class or or maybe even book a guided trip because you got to find out the little nuances, and you should do that before you go buy a lot of equipment, really, don't you think? 
Oh, yeah. And our guide to trips and our classes, they come with everything you need for the day. And so, you know, there is a little investment when you get going and fly fishing, although it's not as big as what people make it sound seem to be. Um, you are spending a little bit of money. So before you do that, make sure you really, like, if you take a class, you take a guide trip, then you'll know, like, oh, this is something I really love to do, and it's worth it. And you're going to have much more confidence in going and buying that fly rod, knowing that you're actually going to want to put it to use and know how now, to put how, it to use. How do people find the Blue Quill Angler, Chris? Yeah, so you can find us online. Um, our website is www. Blue is in the color quill q u i l l angler dot com. Um, you can follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, all the platforms. Um, or as simple as give us a call up here at the shop. You know, we've been up here in Evergreen for thirty years, and um, we really take pride in helping people get into the addiction of fly fishing and helping in any way that we can. And so, if you guys out there have any questions, call us at 303-674-4700, and we're happy to help in any way we can. Last question. It's going to be a little cooler today. There's some storm activity the next couple of days. Always a chance of that in the afternoons here coming up, but it's going to be back in the 90s. If you were planning a trip for the early part of next week, where would you go? Oh, you know, I, that's a great question. Uh, for me, if I was going to go fishing early part of next week, I'd really take advantage of what our still water fishing has to offer right now. Um, I could still throw my hopper patterns up on the still waters. Um, the damsel fishing's really good up there, where you could strip leeches or fish a damsel nymph underneath an indicator. And so I think if I was going this week, I'd do some of the backcountry fishing, or I'd go up to probably Antero or Spinney and have a great time. Um, in terms of river-wise, I would try to find that cold water, and right now we're just so fortunate to have that here close to the Front Range via Clear Creek and the South Platte, and um, I think we have good local options that could get it done. All right. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for that great information. Hey, great talking to you, Terry. Thank you very much. You bet. Chris Steinbeck from the Blue Coal Angler. We're going to take a time out. We come up, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to talk about invasive species and how they are or aren't affecting our waters here in Colorado. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Um, if you're heading into the outdoor, whatever you're at, whatever you love to do, whether it's fishing, kayaking, hunting, hiking, even grilling, Jack's can help you out. They've got stores up and down the front range. If you've never been in one, stop and check it out before you make your next adventure into the outdoors. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Travis Bean. Good morning, Travis. Good morning, Terry. Um, Travis, I, I kind of teased a little bit in the opening of the show about uh, invasive species, the fact and, and I, what we're going to talk about. Before we even get into it, I think that almost everybody that has a boat is pretty familiar with these inspections you have to go through before you go on the water. Are they working? Give us an update on what's the status of Colorado right now with the mussels especially. You know, Terry, the, the program is working. Um, as of right now, we are uh, free of mussels in the state of Colorado. So um, that is definitely a good thing considering, you know, states around us do have mussel populations. So right now, Colorado is, is clean and clear. 
Well, you know, and that's so important because as a state that's an arid state, as we're finding out on the West Slope this year, we have limited surface water available for recreation. And a lot of states like California and even some out east have been shutting bodies of water down because of muscle muscle infant infants infestations easy for me to see on a saturday morning but anyway we've seen the muscles because what they can do to the infrastructure in the water and i think a lot of people don't understand that parks and wildlife doesn't own the water we recreate on in all but maybe a very few cases that it's owned by the water rights people and they're going to protect their their property and their income and they'll shut them down to use if we have fear and that's why the inspection has been so important and the fact that it has kept us clean what what kind of numbers are we seeing out there for mussels? I mean, we're we're inspecting boats. Are we finding boats coming in that are infected? Uh, absolutely, we are. It's actually been a record year for us this year. Um, so we're at a as of the day, 115 mussel uh, boats that we have intercepted coming into the state. And so, just for some um, reference, you know, last year, all of last year, we had 100 mussel boats for the year. And we're at July 24th, and we've already had 115. So we are smashing last year's record. Now, we even have a little less boating this year, according to the inspection numbers. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, we're down about 30% across the state. Um, Last year was an anomaly, just given that the the COVID and everybody trying to get outdoors just to get some some fresh air. So a lot of people have been boating. Uh, So this year, you know, it's down. But just just for people, just for reference, um, if, if people were to leave the state, um, some of the things that they can do to make, make it easier on them and us both is just make sure that their boat is clean, drained, and dry. So that means, you know, um, all the water is, is off of there, so no water, uh, no mud, no plants, and no animals, then the inspection process is going to go much easier for them, and it's going to make our lives a lot easier as well. Is there a particular area where you just see a lot of boats coming in that we have to really be cautious of? Yeah, I would I would say the uh, sea strainer, uh, which is a, a filter that filters water going into the engines and the ballast tanks on certain boats. Um, th- those filters keep out sticks and debris from getting in there. But when they go to a place like, say, Lake Powell, where the mussel population is, is just booming, and uh, there, there's so many dead mussels floating around. Those things get sucked up in those um, strainers, and we, we catch a lot of mussels that way. So you have more trouble with in- inboard outboards than you do with outboard motors? You know, I, I would say inboard, inboard motors are, are the biggest, but this year we've been seeing fishing boats coming back um, with mussels on there. And Typically, those are dead mussels, but of course, we don't want those mussels falling off of the boat ramp at one of our um, lakes, and then somebody finding those and uh, puts everything into a tailspin. Now, you mentioned Lake Powell. It's really been notorious um, for the mussels that have uh, built up there. Uh, Lake Powell is going down. Are we seeing a, a, a bigger influx of boats coming from Lake Powell? Is that attributing to this higher number of positive inspections? Yeah, I believe so. So, you know, p- people are having to get their boats off of Lake Powell and, um, you know, or people are trying to get their one last um, Lake Powell trip in for the year. So they're going down there. Um, for the weekend, it is a gorgeous reservoir. I don't blame them one bit. But uh, when they come back, you know, if they just 
get all that debris and all that sand and everything out of their watercraft, then, then it makes it a lot easier. And pretty much the clean, drain, dry is pretty much just the mantra, isn't it? I mean, if you take those steps, you're probably going to be okay when you come to the inspection, but they're still going to look you know, closely at you. And what happens if I, I show up at Cherry Creek Reservoir and they find mussels? What's the process? So we, we go through a, what's called a full decontamination at that point. We're trying to sterilize any water that may be aboard. Um, if you have life jackets that have been soaked in the water, uh, that larval stage of those mussels, it's microscopic, so you can't see it with the naked eye. So we're just trying to do the best that we can to make sure that everything is sterilized and, and clean. So we're trying to get the, the dirt off of there and the mud off of the anchors, um, any kind of plants or anything. So um, we're going to go through that boat and just, just sterilize it with hot water. You know, we use no chemicals or anything like that. It's just strictly hot water. And now, a lot of people, of course, you know, most of the time you don't have to go through that process. And people are finding out if you use the process properly, it's really efficient. Like, I go to the lakes around my area, Horsetooth and Boyd. I don't usually take my boat out of state, although it can happen. But usually, like, I'll go to Horsetooth or Boyd. They put that that uh, seal on my boat and give me a receipt. So the next time I come back, really, it's just it's just so quick and painless. I hand them the receipt, they ask me a couple questions and cut the seal off and I'm ready to go. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that is essentially the golden ticket for boating in Colorado. Uh, that green seal is proof of prior inspection. And so when you show up to the next lake, they're gonna ask for that receipt. Um, they're gonna cut the seal, ask about live aquatic bait, and then you're gonna go on about your day and hopefully get into some fish. Now, a couple other things real quick before we run out of time. I know next year the state is planning on possibly doing a pilot program to check boats as they enter the state, kind of like Wyoming does. Is that right? Yes, yes. So we're going to do a pilot program next year on I-70 out um, west of Grand Junction. So the goal is to catch boats coming into the state and hopefully relieve some of that pressure of these boats showing up to boat ramps. And so that's going to be a pilot program next year. It's going to be three to four days. Um, we don't have any dates solidified yet, but it'll be sometime next summer. So there's a lot of details that we have to hammer out still. Now, my next guest is going to talk about high country fly fishing. And I know he'll be interested in this next topic. And that's the fact we have seen a little increase in the uh, mud snails, haven't we? we? We have. Yeah, we are finding populations um, throughout the state. And, you know, as, as far as, as that goes, it, it's kind of the same process as far as the boats go. If people just clean their gear off, you know, take a boot brush to your, to your wading boots. Um, you know, personally, I would, I would recommend going with a, a rubber sole um, wading boot as opposed to the old felt sole. Um, those felt soles are just able to pick up so much more stuff and much harder to clean. So, you know, just a boot brush um, is, is plenty. And um, we're actually in the process of getting some boot brush stations and uh, boot cleaning stations uh, built so we can put those out at fly shops and river accesses across the state. So we're making that happen right now. And has it been a major increase or just enough that we're concerned that we really want to make sure the message is out there? More, more so that we just want to make sure that the message is out there. Um, you know, th these things, they're very tiny, um, so they, they can be spread around through the laces of the boots or, you know, even from the paw pads of a dog or something. So we just want to make sure that um, we get the message out there to make sure that, you, you know, you clean your gear off after you 
uh, go to the river or before you go to the river, just um, brush those boots off. All right. A lot of great information. Travis, we just want to make sure we have limited resources. We want to make sure they're available. If everybody cooperates, we can still have fun and keep uh, keep the invasive species out of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Travis Beam from Parks and Wildlife. We'll take a quick time out and uh, author and uh, accomplished fly fisherman Steve Schweitzer is going to join us. And we're going to talk high mountain fly fishing and getting away from the crowds and the heat on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Little dire straits there, Kyle. Get your toe tapping. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear, 65 years and still going strong. Let's go to the phones and joining us, a good friend of mine, he, uh, his books are the gold standard for high country fishing. He has spent so much time hiking, documenting some of the high country in Colorado, and it's one of his favorite activities. You've also, before COVID, you used to see him at all the sports shows, tying flies. He's an accomplished fly fisherman, Steve Schweitzer. Good morning, Steve. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Did I say that just the way you wrote it? <laughs> Please. <laughs> No, it's it's all true. You're just a great resource for the fly fishing industry. Hey, you know, we got such an anomaly this year. We've got terrible dry weather over on the over on the the west slope. We've got crowds on the eastern part of the state, and it's a lot of even we've just got so many new anglers out there and people are struggling to get that true fly fishing experience. And I've always felt that the real essence of fly fishing, the real experience, not that I don't enjoy going saltwater fly fishing or catching a six-pound brown on a on a four-weight or something, but getting up in the high country and getting both away from the heat and away from the crowds um, can really make it just a tremendous experience, can't it? Yeah, and it also takes the pressure off of these uh, lower-altitude uh, front-range streams that are just too warm right now, and and the, the fish in the high country don't necessarily feel that same stress in terms of the, wa- the high water temperatures. So you're doing uh, the ecosystem a favor, too. Well, a lot of those, uh, the snow is just barely, barely clearing off. I mean, it isn't that long that the runoff stopped at some of the highest, highest. Now, how do you decide where to go? And do you go target a stream, a lake? I know we could, we're going to get into your books here in a little bit, and those can be great guides. But overall, how do you start making those decisions if maybe you're not used to going to the high country? Well, I, I do, like with most anybody that uh, wants to plan a fly fishing trip, I'll, I'll go to my local fly shop and, and ask them a few questions about what they're seeing on their guide trips. And, of course, you got you got to think about uh, – patronizing those fly shops, buy a few flies, and out, out you go, and you get some good information. But this time of year, really, um, you know, choosing uh, any drainage um, that takes you up in the high country, you know, the St. Vrain drainage uh, in the lower part of Rocky Mountain National Park or the Fall River drainage that takes you uh, up through uh, near Trail Ridge Road, um, you just get a mile off the trailhead, you know, that's, uh, roughly in uh, you know, half hours worth of hiking uh, off the trailhead, you're in some high country uh, water that uh, uh, definitely is fishing well right now. So, and probably have a lot of that area to yourself. 
Um, you talked about walking off the road a half mile. If you, you really only have to, and when you say hiking, it can be difficult terrain, but sometimes it's just a trail that's very easy to traverse. And you don't have to go five, six miles, a half mile, a mile, or even a little more maybe, but you can really find some seclusion, can't you? Yeah, yeah. It, as a rule of thumb, one hour's worth of hiking is two miles from wherever you started. And that's typically what I call the magic circle, a two-mile circle where you hike one hour, um, and oftentimes it's just a walk, not even a hike. Um, you you pretty much have that stretch of stream or, or that lake or whatever you're going to. Uh, you have a big uh, section of the shoreline or the stream to yourself. might see a few other anglers, but they're not going to be in your way. What Do you t- approach differently when you go to the high country? Is your gear different than the average guy does in a stream, say, on the South Platte? Or do you use, you can use the same gear, but you do, do you try to use a little different approach? And just how do you outfit yourself? Yeah, so this time of year, um, I think uh, an earlier segment you talked about hoppers. Um, and as you think about early season hoppers, like a month ago, six weeks ago, when we're still in the um, uh, end of May, hoppers are small and they're very earthly colored. They're, uh, they're meant to not be seen and eaten by uh, predators that might want them. But as they get older, uh, they get bigger and they get more brightly colored as they get into their mating season, which will be at the end of the summer. So right now, hoppers would be mid-sized. And I, I believe uh, we talked about size 8, size 10, maybe even size 12 on the small side um, of uh, hook size, rather, for the hoppers. And then they start to get a little bit of a yellow or a lime green or even a faint orange color to their body. So you want to start transitioning. And then late in the summer, you want to get a full-colored big hopper, like a size 6, with a little more brightly colored abdomen. So that's the transition for hoppers. But right now, um, I focus on, um, and I've recently switched to a 10-foot, three or four weight for the high country. And the reason I do that is so I can reach across streams and hit the opposite bank because, you know, as a fisherman, the fishing's always better on the opposite side, right? Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And so you're, t- you're talking about hopper droppers. I think one of the things, and I want to get onto your books before we run out of time. Uh, one of the things to uh, to take into to consideration when you're doing f- high country fly fishing, especially if you're doing pocket water on these small rivers, most beginning fly anglers don't realize how big a presentation those small fish will come up and take. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and the, the presentations are, are forgiving this time of year, too. You can be a, a, a little more sloppy with your cast. I'm not saying actually slap the water. You don't want to do that. But um, things are falling off tree branches. Um, uh, you know, bugs are bigger, so they're going to hit the water with a little bit more impact. So dry fly fishing right now is just supreme. Um, in the high country, and it'll, this will happen clear through September with caddis um, and uh, bigger mayflies like uh, uh, drakes, for example, up in the high country right now. Over riffles, uh, most every day you'll see a drake hatch, and those are those uh, mayflies that look like little sailboats, and they're they're kind of dancing over those riffles, um, going up and down, up and down in the air. And 
that's that's your clue to fish a drake. Um, Calabatus are coming off right now. It's just on Spinney Mountain Reservoir yesterday, and the Calabatus hatch was so thick that I actually ate a couple. They just they're, they're everywhere. Um, not tasty. How was the need how was the fishing at Spinney? So fishing was uh, really good. Catching was a little bit more difficult, <laughs> but we did get some <laughs> fish to the boat, including uh, um, a two-foot uh, pike that decided to take a fly on us. So Now, I want to switch to your books and other resources a little bit. Obviously, what you said about going to the fly shops, there's fly shops in every area of the state, and they keep track of their waters, and they can help guide you. One of the things we've been preaching all this year, because there's so many new people, is Know before you go. Know what the conditions are, where you're going, and know your own uh, abilities. Don't go beyond your ability, whether it's how far you can hike or how much you understand being out there so you don't get in trouble. But also check what are the conditions where you're going. Now, you've written two books. You've written more than two, but two specifically that apply to this topic. And one's a, a fly fisherman's guide to Rocky Mountain National Park, and the other one to the Indian Hills Wilderness Area. Tell us real briefly about those books. Yeah, they're they're really meant to be uh, hiking guides for fly fishermen um, or fly fisher persons, let's put it that way. Um, and uh, uh, the books are geared, each chapter is geared towards a drainage, and the chapter takes you up the drainage, uh, provides maps, detailed uh, descriptions on the water, whether it's a lake or a stream that you're going to face as you go up that trail system, and uh, potentially some flies that really work well in those drainages. And the photography in these books is just phenomenal. Steve's an excellent photographer who spent actually years on these drainages, photographing the areas and laying out the maps. Where are the books available, Steve? You know, the best way to get the books right now is your local fly shop or on Amazon.com and just search for the titles you just said or, or my name. All right. Now, if you were going, I mean, I asked, I'm asking this to everybody today. If you're heading out this week, where would you go? Well, funny you mentioned that. I am actually going up starting Monday on a five-day backpack trip in Indian Peaks Wilderness area because the high country uh, is uh, just on fire right now, and I don't, I don't want to miss it. No, you're right. It's one of the most incredible experiences. What about waders? Do you wear waders or do you dry wade? Dry, dry wade? No, I, wet wade. I rarely even get in. I rarely get in the water. I'll, I'll just fish the banks, and you know, with a ten foot rod, I can reach where I need to reach. I can also bust the wind in case the wind comes up and I'm fishing a lake. So, um, I just wear hiking boots that are waterproof, and that that does me. A lot easier to hike than in a pair of waders, too. Steve, thanks for all those <laughs> yeah. tips. Hopefully. A- a lot of these new anglers will get your books, Fly Fisherman's Guide to Rocky Mountain National Park and Fly Fisherman's Guide to Indian Hills Wilderness, and it'll launch them not only in those drainages and those areas, but into a, an experience in fly fishing that's second to none in Colorado. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Take care. You bet. Steve Schweitzer, author of Fly Tire. Just you know, get, getting up in that high country, so the park is... Karen and I are going to head up to the park one day this week. It's one of our favorite areas. We're going to take a time out. We come back. We're going to switch it up. We're going to have a couple segments on conventional fishing, both local ponds and then the walleye bite that's on fire right now in some of our metro lakes. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Discount Tackle is um, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Uh, always great to have you on. I know there's lots of bites going on, and we could talk about, maybe we'll get to some of the, the stuff at Cherry Creek. If not, we're going to get to it to the next segment. But I want to talk to you about an opportunity this time of the year that people really need to be taking advantage of because a lot of times, you know, you don't have time for that trip or you don't want to take the launch your boat. And I do this all the time. We have great pond fishing up and, and small lake fishing up and down the front range, don't we? Absolutely. There's fantastic opportunities, even right in our own backyards. And especially this time of year when we're dealing with high temperatures and maybe some of our trout bite isn't as good or a lot of the, our uh, walleye lakes are inundated with shad you can get some of the best fishing in these little local ponds for largemouth bass and panfish literally right now and over the next couple of weeks. Well, you're absolutely right. I was out checking a few. And by the way, I, I put a post on my Facebook page, folks, that shows you a really simple panfish setup. Now, this is the real basic, but if you've got a kid you're teaching to fish and taking out to these park ponds, it'll just bail you out. So go take a look at that at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. But there's, you're right, almost every pond up and down the front range is stocked with bass and panfish, bluegills, crappies, uh, and there's occasional other species in some of these ponds. So how do you first pick a pond, and then how do you approach it? So it's not bad to just fish, honestly, your, your local neighborhood pond. But a lot of times, too, you can find some around town that may have uh, additional growth of uh, aquatic vegetation. Certainly having uh, any kind of big trees or overhanging structure into the water can be worthwhile as well. But the other thing to look at is maybe do a little bit of research as to if your pond is going to be having largemouth or smallmouth bass. The majority have largemouth, but some do have smallmouth, and I'm going to approach those different lakes uh, with the different species differently. But to somebody that uh, isn't really used to bass fishing, they might see this heavy moss growth in these ponds and, and think that that's not good, but those bass really utilize that for structure, and a lot of times that's where I'm starting. Oh, you're absolutely right. I think the biggest problem is we get into the second half of summer and the weed growth is up and the water might even be down just a hair, is people are afraid to cast where they need to cast. Now, that leads us to a point before we get into your techniques is the fact that you may you may not have to upgrade your rod. You may be able to get by but you're probably going to have to make sure you at least have some good solid braid line that yep. that gives you some ability to pull fish out, don't you think? Absolutely. And even when you're looking at these bass pros fishing with really heavy 30 or 40 pound when they're going out a really significant cover, it's not because the fish is that big. It's because you need to get them out of that, that cover. And if you're fishing six-pound test and even a one or a two-pound bass can get you tangled up into some of those weeds. So at minimum, about a 10-pound braid, as you mentioned, is what I like to spool my reels up with. Okay, so then what, what are some of the presentations, and how do you, do you do some search casting? Do you kind of look for areas, a combination? So one of my favorites you and I had talked about in a previous show, but this time of year your topwater bite can be fantastic. And the reason I like it the most is you can work in and around your weeds without getting hung up as long as you're having some accurate casts. But the caveat to that is that it really is an early morning and late evening bite only. If you have some good cloud cover, you might catch them into the day a little bit. But uh, that early morning, late evening, low light conditions with a popper or a whopper plopper or a spook, all can be very worthwhile. And I'm casting that in and around 
the structure points. Um, and so I'm, I'm right on the edge of the weed lines. I'm in front of a tree. I'm in front of uh, any kind of a rock pile or a little inlet that might come in. And I'm working that back. And you can get both your largemouth and your smallmouth to hit that very nicely. Now, additionally, as the day progresses or if I'm in the middle of the day, a wacky rig or a weedless Texas rig Sanko with no weight can be very worthwhile as well. Uh, I'm fishing that weightless, so it's not going down into those weeds very hard. So you can just pitch into those areas that have the openings, and even small openings will have a bass sitting in there. And a lot of times you don't even really feel that fish. With that braid, you can just watch your line swim off and then set your hook into those fish. But a Sanko is a great way to go. Also, I like a drop shot rig. And a drop shot rig is where you have your hook tied on your line with a tagline underneath it. So I'm putting a weight on that tagline, and then I have that hook up higher where that soft plastic is on. And then that weight is the only thing that's down into the weeds, and my plastic remains uh, a lot cleaner in a presentation with the drop shot rig. And if folks, if you, another, I'm going to send you to the Facebook page again because Chad and I talked drop shotting last week, and there's a there's a um, there's a a link to that uh, that discussion on my Facebook page that we get in depth on drop shotting on Terry Wishmo Doors on Facebook. You're absolutely right, the bass. One of the things I find when I, I a lot of times when I'm fishing these ponds, I see people trying to catch bass, and they're casting to the most open water. Not that you won't ever never catch a fish there but that's not where they're concentrated so it takes some work with them to get them the confidence to fish in the cover or close to the cover um that's where the soft plastics like you mentioned the senko really come in sometimes i'll even take just a four inch worm on weighted on maybe a one-aught bass hook and and i can actually just pull that along the top of the weeds and i've even had them come up and hit then every time i get to a pocket just let it drop but once Absolutely. i get people once I get people to catch bass that way, it really gets them excited. It's a new way to fish, and it's just they have so much fun, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, that can work really well. And the other nice thing about these ponds, too, is that there's a lot of panfish in them. So you can work even just, a, as you mentioned, just a, a little basic rig, even with just a float and a piece of night crawler or a piece of gulp and catch those. And then you could put uh, bait on for your bass, too. Live leeches or live shiners this time of year also can work very well for those fish. Oh, yeah. And don't be afraid to fish under a bobber. I mean, yep. we all, we're not, just because we've learned to use bobbers when we're little kids doesn't mean they're not a big boy presentation. I use bobbers a lot. I, I mean, do. a lot, of, it just keeps your bait in the presentation. And the panfish will actually, if you're afraid to cast into that cover, now, you're going to have panfish in the cover, too, but a lot of times you can find bigger openings and with just a bobber and a piece of bait, catch all the panfish you want without having to get as deep in the cover. And if that's the case, then I recommend people go to maybe have a lighter rod with them to have a little more fun. Yep, maybe take both rods with you out there. But uh, the panfish are a great uh, opportunity to get some youth into the sport. And this time of year is when really they're doing the, the best and they're the most active. Now, last thing I want to close with you on is that um, we also have a resource going through town. Well, it's in ponds all over town, too, and it's in the Platte River, and that's carp. And yep. carp can get to be giant fish. They pull your string, and yet you can catch them with either a fly or bait, and they're an opportunity I don't think people take advantage of enough. Yeah, they can be super challenging, and I think that's part of one of the reasons why some people turn their nose up at them. 
but you can catch them in a variety of different ways. Certainly a lot of folks will fly fish to them, uh, especially in the lower water of late summer in the river, um, in the plat with crawfish patterns, uh, San Juan worms, big hare's ears and such all can be worthwhile. And you can use some of those same techniques in these ponds, but the whole key when you're fly fishing these fish is to be trying to find a fish that's tailing similar to you'd be finding a saltwater redfish or a, a bonefish where their nose is down and their, their tip of their tail is kind of sticking up actively feeding. But if you're just casting some bait lines out there as well, um, you know, I've had success on, on uh, certainly just basic crawlers, but then there's also carp dough bait that's out there. Some folks will even utilize corn at times. Yeah, and you can, whatever way you like to fish, there's um, stop by your shop. You can help them out. But I'll tell you what, you hook up one of these big carp and you'll be hooked yourself for a long time. They pull it will be they, they pull in a big way harder than pretty much anything else. Last question because we got to wrap it up. How is the supply of fishing gear holding up? Still been challenging. So there's certain areas that have been better, but if you're looking for rods or reels, it's been tough still. Various lures in certain colors have been tough. Basically anything of Asian Orient uh, the type uh, stuff is all all tough i mean so anything that's made over in china the supply chain has been been challenging and i'm still struggling with all right tell them how they find you i'm at discount fishing tackle we're six blocks south of evans on the west side of santa fe all right my friend great information thank you thank you all right that's austin park great resource another great resource coming up the folks from uh, tightline outdoors are going to join us and we're going to talk walleye and pike, which are both doing really well right now here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.